Welcome along to the Wise Man's Here podcast. It is the 11th of July 2021 and this is the day that England are finally in the final of a major tournament. How are you feeling, Craig Clark? A little bit hungover and a little bit... <laughs> Good start anti- to any day. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the anticipation's kind of building now, isn't it? T- mm. Ten. We're recording this just after quarter past ten. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know... When it comes down to it, England have been so professional in the way they've gotten to this final. I know the semi was a challenging game in some ways, but they were the better side by some distance, I thought. Yeah. It's, it's now you're looking at it and you're thinking, this is a, this is a real blockbuster game, isn't it? Like a mm. really, it's, it's set up really nicely for a, a bit of a titanic tussle. It certainly is. I mean, I've set, I, I started the, the, the recording with the, um, the context of the date there. For whatever reason, yes. if anybody wants to listen back, <laughs> I mean, for more historical uh, context, I've um, I've had my second job now as well, and I'm glad a report I've had no no side effects. So um, the mild hangover I'm feeling is also genuinely a hangover, I think, rather than rather yeah, than anything yeah. to do with that. <laughs> um, but I mean, the eight o'clock kickoff doesn't help, does it? I would rather it's such a do, long yeah. Does does it? Yeah. Am I remember remembering this wrong, or do? Finals of major tournaments normally are they normally during the day or at least tea time? I wonder if it depends on sometimes where they're located on the globe. I think it's an interesting one to play it on a Sunday at eight because, all right, I can understand if there was a like a sort of North American, South American interest in the game, it kind of maybe allows people on that side of the world to get involved. But there's going to be people going further east into Europe. If this goes to extra time penalties, they'll be up until one o'clock in the morning watching it. Yeah. So it's it's a very weird. I don't. I was trying to work out what the logic would be because I know like the FA Cup final, they started playing that late, didn't they? Um, and I think it was to do with TV and trying to capture the biggest popular sort of possible market and audience. Um, and I'm not really sure to be honest if this World is Cup, a new phenomenon. World Cup final 2018 kicked off at four o'clock, and that was in Russia, right? Yeah. So they're what? That would be six o'clock Russian time, is that right? Something like that. Sure. Seven o'clock, maybe. So maybe it might marry up if you're basing it on local time. I mm. our time four p.m. I don't know what time it was over there. Six, seven o'clock, maybe. Six, I think. I don't think any. I don't think it's beyond two hours at all. And never mind anyway. I mean, it's, it's no, but it isn't. Such... It's it's yeah. interesting because you're right. It, it's on a Sunday and it's a long wait. And it's a long time for people, especially now with the year we've had, well, more than a year we've had, for people to go out and kind of like <laughs> get drunk, basically. And that's yeah. great. I mean, you know, I think that's all part of it. But if it was a three o'clock kickoff, the kind of, you know, what we think of here, obviously, is the traditional kind of English kickoff time. I know it's not the same everywhere. It would just have a bit more, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer that than you've got the, the time yeah, to digest even, the game after. Even just five o'clock, because that, that would be yeah, in line yeah. with, with some of the kickoff times we've had. Like, obviously, you know, the Germany game was a five o'clock kickoff. Sure. That's a mm. logical time to me, you know, so you, you, you're getting mm-hmm. the, the heat of the day out of the way, because it probably will be hot yeah. in London in the day. Um, True. And it'll start, it'll start calming down by... Um, by tea time. So um, mm. before we get into the, the, the look, look at the Denmark game, just look forward to the game. Where, where does this lie for you in terms? Because there's a there's a massive spectrum of, of what England means to <laughs> football fans, I guess, isn't there? And yeah, I think you all know which end of the um, spectrum I'm at, you know, because you make fun of us in the group chat and stuff about it. So no, well, you should um, elaborate on elaborate on it now, though. Well, like, I think for the, well, for the listener. You know, you know, t- t- 
to me, I, I, England is my team as much as Sunderland is my team, and it's all—it's just always been that way for me. Since Italian '90 was the first tournament got me into football, so I became an England mm. fan then. Really, before I became a Sunderland fan, which which followed mm. on from that season, um, and you know, been to watch them. I, I was at the game when Zidane binned that one on the top corner in Euro 2004, mm. um, <laughs> which was uh, an experience. Um, <laughs> Which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about again because that's that's another England team that was probably the best team in the in the tournament at the time and and fell short yet again. But you know, so this, this to me feels as big as 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 Sunderland in 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 a cup final. So where where, where is it for you in terms of you know that you know maybe not the Papa John's, <laughs> but um, <No. laughs> but um, you know when Sunderland played in the League Cup final in 2014, for example, oh, where, where was this? Was it anywhere near for you? I know for some people it would be absolutely nowhere near, and for others like myself, it's it's probably on par. It's it's I've got to be honest, it's not close. I've never felt as England as tangibly as I feel mm. Sunderland. Like I feel the experience of supporting Sunderland in a very unique way that it doesn't translate to England that it doesn't mean I don't support England or want England to win and certainly because this is the first time I'll have gone out for a game I will feel it a lot more than I have in the previous rounds I think where I've I've found myself kind of watching it a little bit with a I don't want to sound pompous but like analytical eye almost I'm I'm like not I'm not digesting it emotionally in the way I would I do Sunderland I think in especially in a big occasion like a cup final or a cup semi but I have I mean I suppose my England supporting journey probably started in 96 and crying my eyes out when, ironically, Southgate missed that penalty. Uh, I went to Poland in 2012, didn't go to any games, but we were, me and the lads was with, we went to Krakow and obviously the England team were based there. And that tournament was one where it was kind of marked by brave failure, if, you know, the kind of typical England narrative. But I did feel like a kind of a closeness to that because I'd, I'd been involved in the fan, you know, going to the fan parks. I remember Italy as well, where uh, staying there, and I'd went, I went uh, where their hotel was, and just by chance, their team was coming out of the hotel, and saw like Gigi Buffon and like some of these other iconic characters, and I did really feel we actually were bumped into Glenn Johnson in the street as well at one point, which was quite cool. But but then like, and then the Russia, I felt like when we were because I think we watched a couple of games together during that one, and I really got into this England team, and I really felt like. A, a connection to some of these players like Henderson and Pickford for obvious reasons. But actually, when you go through this current squad, it's full of likeable characters, isn't it? Full of really likeable lads who all seem genuine and they seem to give a toss. So it does, it's not that I don't care. It's just, Sunderland's just something different. I can't, it's a really hard thing to explain, isn't it? Like if you... Yeah, it's 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 down to Southgate, really, the the... And we've we've touched on this before, but the atmosphere is created, and and, yeah. and England have always been passionate, but they've went about it in in the wrong way. Mm. Perhaps in the past, so you think Joe Hart, <laughs> don't you, being over the top and being yeah. too emotionally invested in the game, where he thinks he's endearing himself to England fans, and <laughs> pro- probably he's having the opposite effect to to what his yeah. to, you know to, to what yeah. his desire is, um, and you just think like you're an idiot and you're trying too hard, that kind of thing, and. Um, <clears throat> What this has done to me um, is highlighted failures of, of previous mm. generations because we've been underperforming for years, and this just highlights that. And that's not me saying it in any sort of with any sort of sense of entitlement or anything like that. But England, as a rich country with the population yep. that it has, 
that is so emotionally and financially invested into one sport that should automatically bring with it a level of success. That would be the same for any country. Do you know what I mean? Where it's the national sport and there's that much mm-hmm. interest in it and there's that much money in thrown into it. It's it's mm-hmm. sort of it's 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 almost feels like it's 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 arrived too late and it should have this should have happened before now. Um but I think mm-hmm. we have this issue with coaches in in particular British coaches, and yeah. you know, I think you've said it before. Like we're not convinced Southgate's an elite coach or anything. And I think that I think the mastermind is 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 probably Steve Holland, if if anybody in in, in on 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 that front. Um, but you know, it, there's a problem, and these players have been mismanaged. I think. Mm. Is it all that? Is the players as well? Where's responsibility lied in previous years? 50-50? Because England have always had this um, idea that you pick the 11 best players on paper and then you throw them out there and that should be enough. Now, I'm not being that ignorant to previous managers and coaches where they think, you know, they've had no tactical plan or whatever, because I'm sure they have. But I remember in the 2014 World Cup and me and Gareth were doing some of these England pods. Um, Can you remember him? I remember. <laughs> we'll have to get him back on a podcast sometime. I hope. Yeah, um, we we were um, we were doing some of these pods, and, and at the time, Liverpool, I think it was the year that nearly won the league and missed out with Gerard Slip and everything. And yeah. um, in that, you know, that Liverpool team, I think it was Mascarano who was sitting. They had a sitter, or it might have been Lucas. They had a sitter, mm. and then they had Henderson and Gerard in front. And that midfield had ripped through the Premier League that season. That was the real first season. Henderson made a name for himself and um, really connected with the Liverpool fans. And then, you know, instead of that being recognised to, to transfer to the to the international team, Hodgson made Henderson sit mm. and brought in another. I can't remember who the other midfielder was to play alongside Gerrard. And it was just, it's just baffling it's it really is we we've been we seem to be the only country who who never picks a team for you know what what suit what what, what suits the the tactics that you're trying to put across and you know half being serious we were saying Lee Catamol at the time because he played out of his skin that season oh he had an amazing and, season and and, yeah. and and but you know people like less glamorous names like Mark Noble who was playing well for West Ham at the time would have been ideal not as good as Mascarano granted but no. you know, but they would have just slotted into that system at the time, and we've done it. We've done it for years. Four four two. We never have a left winger. So why are you playing four four two? Why are you playing Nick Barnby on the left wing, or Emil Heskey on the left wing, or Paul Scholes on the left wing, or Joe Cole on the left wing? Because that that has always been the England way, hasn't it? And you know, even then we were getting to like quarterfinals and underperforming. Um, mm. But I think fifty percent of it is down to the players choking in those games as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think, we, I think yeah. we've been historically we are chokers. I think. As a group yeah, I of think. Players. I think as well. I've listened to some other podcasts where they've referenced that kind of so-called golden generation of the two thousands, and maybe there was divisions as well. You know, you do hear about this. I think France are maybe an example at this tournament where there can be divisions among players. Um, and maybe in the in the two thousands we had an elite group of players, but were maybe maybe there was a few egos, a few too many egos. And because a lot of these players were playing against each other at an elite level, like for Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool, etc. And I know they are now as well. But Southgate, and this is where I think praise has to go to Southgate, a lot of it in fact, as a head coach, 
I think you've referenced this before as well, and, and maybe others, is United, the dressing room. He's all those divisions that may have existed. There's no place for egos in this squad. Yes, you've got some, you know, tremendously good world-class, I would argue, footballers. Certainly Harry Kane. I would probably put Raheem Sterling in that bracket as well, uh, among others. And you've got players who are winning competitions at an elite level, like the Champions League. But they, do, they all seem to get on. They all seem to love love it. And I think that harmonious atmosphere, you know, you, you mentioned that. I don't think maybe Southgate's an elite coach. It doesn't matter how many elite coaches are actually in international football at this point. One or two, maybe. There's a lot of not elite coaches. And if his role is to bring that dressing room together, a bit like you could argue he's, he's creating a culture, a bit like an NFL head coach does. And uh, and he's like you say, Steve Hollands, maybe the in an NFL phraseology is the play caller. He's the one who's generating the tactics. And there's that guy there from Newcastle as well, isn't there? He's involved. Jones, What's yeah. his role? What's yeah. his role? Do you know? I, I know he's a coach. I don't know, but the, 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 I mean, his his presence on the touchline of St James Park last season was clear. And yes, it, yeah. I, I, I can't see how that's a coincidence that their form turned around so significantly in the second mm. half of the season when they brought him in. Again, you know, don't know the ins and outs, despite what you all wind up about that as well. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of, of the dressing room in Newcastle, but, <laughs> you know, he's not a quiet coach. He's on the touchline all the time. He's in Steve Bruce's ear all the time. He's talking to the players in every, in every break and play and stuff like that. Again, don't know if, if that is what you could put it down to, but it seems like a big coincidence, if not. He certainly brought they're, something. They're yeah. Home, yeah. They were terrible first half of the season. Absolutely yeah. relegation form, terrible. And, you know, while they weren't great in the second half of the season, they never looked. You never watched them thinking they were a team that were going to go down or were in trouble to go down. And he's had an involvement in that, mm-hmm. clearly. He was involved mm-hmm. in Belgium as well. I don't know why that stopped, did he? Because he was with Martinez, sure. wasn't he? It's a, an he was Martinez one, for yeah. when, when Wales knocked them out in the, in the last Euros, I'm pretty sure. And in, he the, was there. Got a, in the semi-final of the World Cup, I'm pretty sure he was there, yeah. I wonder if he just got a better offer somewhere else, because I know people have talked about Martinez, again, another manager who's maybe not an elite coach. He's done okay at relatively middling, small-sized clubs, or big club in Everton, but he didn't, you know, he didn't exactly set the world alight there, did he? Um, and I wonder... Anybody else has done that in the yeah, last that's, years. That's, that, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true, to be fair. But he, at Belgium, it's a totally different kettle of fish, isn't it? Because you've got big top level players like who are kind of, you know, among the best in the world and, and it's a different a different sort of scenario. And maybe he was a really integral part of, of that because now they've got like this weird assistant manager thing with Sean Maloney and Thierry Henry and you can't get much further apart in terms of player profile than that, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. It was um universal Laughter when he popped up on the screen, I think, <laughs> celebrating. <laughs> celebrating what, what's going on? It's not about being random. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, wh- wh- where are you in terms of like, you know, this to me feels as, you know, before the start of the tournament, I would have been chuffed with the final. And even after, oh, beating, yeah. De- after beating Denmark, I, I, I even kind of said then, you know, I think if this is as far as his team's going to go, it's been absolutely amazing. Now mm. the day is here and you're kind of thinking, is this your chance? Because I'm hearing a lot of people saying it's a national, a natural progression with England where they've gone from being crap to reaching, <laughs> to just being a little bit brave, believing themselves, creating the right atmosphere, getting to a semi-final of the World Cup, 
the draw was very kind, yes, but getting themselves still, regardless to the semi-final of the World Cup. Progression is now the final. Maybe it's one step too far, but then you look at Italy and they didn't even qualify for the last World Cup. This progression thing, yeah, yeah, it's nonsense. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I'm that's, sorry, that's, it that's is. Was, that's what I'm. That's, that's what not I'm how it at, works. You know. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, my, it's, it's not. It's, there's, there's no clear maths behind it, is there? It's like you know, it's two football teams at the end of the day. You've got a good set of players who are all playing pretty much, apart from maybe the midfield two who are at a slightly lower level in terms of the club teams that they play for. Um, and Saka, to be fair, plays for an Arsenal team that's pretty appalling. But <laughs> other he got player of the season, to be yeah, fair. And he's a good and he's a good footballer. He's clearly a good footballer. He can still be a good footballer at a at a yeah. club that's not doing well. But and Grealish is a Villa team that are yeah. in middle of the pack. And, and, and but, but in the case of Rice and Grealish as well, I think people would expect them to to maybe move to on. move or, or you know, I mean, I don't feel I think any of them feel pressured to, but. No, they really should be playing at a, a team that's at a, a bit of a higher level. level. Yeah. yeah. So let I mean, but even when you look at the team that will, or one of the potential lineups today, how many of them have got really good Champions League experience or they've won league titles or cups? You'd say all of them, really. I mean, Jordan Pickford in goal, uh, maybe not so much, and then probably Rice and Phillips. The rest who start because I've I've got a bit of a feeling he's going to go with a back three which I'm quite happy with for this game. And I think that means Trippier comes in, who's just won the league in Spain. Uh, and so that's another winner. You're bringing another winner into the team. And then we've talked about the substitutions. You've got Phil Foden's just won the title at Man City. And like you've got Sancho, who's had a great season at the top level in Germany. There's a lot of quality to come into that team. Henderson, you know, yeah, Liverpool haven't had their best season, but he's won the title. He's won the Champions League. He's if he's fit enough, can you get 30 minutes out of him, especially if England are 1-0 up in the game? This is... I wonder if that's a decision Southgate's got to make. Because when Henderson come on against Ukraine and against Denmark, I thought he improved the team on both occasions. Outstanding. And he's clearly fit now and he's fresh. That's a thing. Um, oh. <clears throat> but Southgate's never been one to make emotional decisions. But I do wonder if he if he sticks with Rice and Phillips today, whether there's a little bit of a more, whether that's a little bit of an emotional <clears throat> decision to reward those players because it would be harsh to drop any of them for a final when they've got you there. But you can tell you what, if you sat down and made a case for Jordan Henderson, it'll be hard to argue against it. Well, Champions League winner, league winner at Liverpool side that hadn't won the league for however many decades, three decades or so. Um, yeah, 1990, yeah, 1990, I think. And just like you say, based on performance <clears throat> alone, I know it's different coming on in a game where the other two lads have maybe done a lot of the running already for you, but it's it's not just his energy levels. You remember, <laughs> he's one of those players where, you know, players get better when they don't play. He hasn't had that because people have been pretty happy with the midfield too in their performances. But when he's coming, you go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> This this guy is actually like a world class footballer, and no offense to Phillips and Rice, Rice might become a world class footballer. Phillips is playing in, in a really high level for a, a really tactical manager at Leeds. Like he's got a really specific way of playing, and it's improved him as a footballer. But Henderson's just a better footballer than both of them. It's just simple. There's no there's no argument with that, is there? No, really not. It's it's like comparing. Say say you'd start the, the tournament with uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin up front, and Kane became fit. 
I'm sorry, but Kane is just a world-class striker and Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't. It's, it's that simple. That's the distinction we're making here, I think. Yeah, I agree. And it, I tell you what, we, we've said he's ballsy before. It would take some balls to do it just because <laughs> just because those lads have he got, got you this far. Um, but this is a one-off game now and it's a final, isn't it? I think it'll go and Italy's, as well. And Italy's strengths, or one of their strengths, they're a very good side. The technical mm. setup, the way they play is a strength as well. But the midfield's a huge strength. It's their biggest area of dominance between the two sides is, I would yeah. say, England's front players are the best on the pitch between the two. And then I would say Italy's midfield is considerably better than England's. Yeah. Uh, I think, maybe just thinking about this, Henderson, I think he likes, possibly just likes him to come on as a sub when yeah, the game's stretched and legs are tired because... To flip that on its head, you know, you, you start him and England might give England a better foothold in the game. But as we know, he likes to play the long game, doesn't he, Southgate? <laughs> yeah, so, he does. Um, say, you know, he does that and then Henderson starts to tie a 60 minutes in, then you're bringing on somebody not as good as him, which possibly is the way he's thinking about it. Which, well, look, again, look it's, at it's Denmark. brave because yeah. it doesn't help if you're 2-0 down after 60 yeah. minutes. Um, but you, you know you're right. Look at the Denmark. Yeah, I mean, surely everybody in the country... 10 minutes before the end was saying, put Henderson on, put Ford on. Yeah. Put Henderson yeah. on, put Ford on. Now, they are the two the changes they made, which we could all see. But he had the patience and the calmness to <laughs> wait until extra time to do it because I guess he was thinking, you know, we could still get caught on the counter in the last 10 minutes here despite us yeah. dominating the game. 30 minutes, you're, what, you're adding what? Another... Um, my maths is not very good, Craig. Here, help us out. You're adding another 33% <laughs> well, see, of, of yeah, the game? Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. adding that to the game where Denmark are tired. Suddenly, you can put Ford and Henderson on. It's a massive Different. game changer. Massive. Well, compare that, compare that to what Denmark had to bring on. You talk about making changes on the hour, right? Denmark had championship midfielders coming on for like players who play at a high level in like Delaney, I don't think Delaney was particularly great in the game, but he plays for Bayern Munich, not Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, so he plays for it at a good level. Um, and you've had Hoiberg, who's had this really long season for Spurs, and then he's had like he's played every minute virtually, I think. They were bringing on much lower level quality. England, like you say, if you're holding Henderson in reserve, it works the other way around. And I think what Rice and Phillips can do, at the very least, is keep opposition at bay. I just think Italy are going to have probably quite a lot of the ball. But it's funny, when you look at the possession stats across the tournament, England's had more than Italy. England's about 54. Italy's about 51. And the games where Italy have had a lot of the ball, Austria being a really good example, they had found it really difficult against Austria. They've struggled big time. It did, and it looked like they were going to go out until the, that close offside call. Um, very close exactly yeah. um, it's, it is an interesting one because we, we, we know what Georgino is like anyway um, well I you know how I think he's I think he's I think he's a brilliant footballer and mm. in the same vein that I think Henderson is a lot of people might not look at players like that and think world class but for me they, 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 Georgino is exactly the player you've been talking about that England needed in that team where he put Henderson as a sitter he yeah. would have done if you had a Georgino he is that player he will just sit and tick it over. He makes the most passes in a game. He sets the tempo. Do England have a player who do that? I'm not sure that they do, really. No, probably not in this generation, do they? Unless there's one 
Unless Henderson, to an extent, can kind of, but it's not really his game, Henderson, is it? No, Henderson likes to, to keep things moving quickly. Yeah. I don't think he would ever grab the ball and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dictate the tempo of this game. I yeah. don't think he's got that in his locker. Um, so unsettling him is going to be the key, isn't it? And I've saw. <clears throat> Uh, I've listened to podcasts and have, we'll have a lot of debates and it is an interesting one. So you said that think, you're thinking he'll go three at the back and <clears throat> the suggestions are Italy struggle against that. So are you great? Yeah, that's yeah, what so I've that, 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 yeah. could be, that could be key in that. I guess that makes it less easy to do that, would you say? Because if you're playing four and then you've got three in the middle, mm. <clears throat> then your attacking midfielder, <clears throat> who will be Mount, will be the one to do it. Like almost go man for man with him to try and stop him from playing, it would probably still be Mount if you play 3-4-3 three, so. three, because yeah. he would be one of the front three, you would imagine. Yeah. But dropping back, you're taking something out of one of your attackers' game, games that way, maybe. But is that, okay, is that okay if the overall... One of the things I've really kind of grown to appreciate about Southgate's approach is it seems really negative to think about oh, negating the other team's strengths. It's like, well, why don't you just play at your own strengths? But actually, when you look at a team like Italy... And he's been done a couple of times, Mancini. Uh, Enrique, England can't play like Enrique Spain because we don't have a Busquets type of character who's like, we've just been talking about Jorginho's like that. And Spain stifled Italy because Koke made it really hard for Verratti to get on the ball and play. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with negating an opposition's strengths as long as you've then got the strength to do something when you get the ball. And I think England have been flexible enough in the tournament where they have played to negate an opposition's strengths, but then it hasn't negated England's strengths. It's England have looked great when they've got on the ball and they've created really good chances. And I wonder if, if you go three at the back, it makes it hard for their front three to get... I mean, Insigne up against Walker as a third centre-back. I think Insigne's going to have a hard time if that's the case. It makes life a lot harder. For Chiesa, assuming he plays, I don't think Immobile is a great forward. I've said it on every podcast. He just isn't at international Patrick level. <laughs> no, I'll, if it happens, it's a bigger surprise. He's only scored twice at the tournament. Yeah, you know, I've never he's done nothing. Great, to be honest, no, not, not great. But it means that somebody, the, the person who's going to have one of the biggest jobs, not just Mount, if he comes central to kind of negate Jorginho, it's going to be Phillips probably on Verratti. Has he got? in his locker to stop Ferrati playing. And then when we get the ball, how how flexible are England when they're getting forward where they can get Sterling on the, you know, turning those centre-backs. I don't think you need three forwards to work it against those two centre-halves because Kane's going to drop deep anyway in a bit like the way Danny Olmo did for Spain. But he's a different, totally different type of footballer, of course. He is a centre-forward, but he can do that in, in inverted commas false nine role if you like you can come short you saw it for the first England goal against Denmark a pass through for Saka yeah. was sublime you know if that is if that's a Spanish number 10 or a, a Verratti or someone for Italy people will be going on and on and on about it and I know people have rightly praised the pass but I think it's gone a bit un, under the radar to be honest it was that it was so good was you know what else has gone under the radar there's the so-called foul for Denmark's free kick because they had a massive, massive uproar about this this penalty, which, by the way, Uh, you see, given more than not, in any game of football, when the free kick they scored directly from was just as soft. It was softer? Yeah. There was nothing in that. It's been quite mad to see the the meltdown because it's normally us. Um, 
Well, look at Denmark. You know, England, against... would have, England would have scored an extra time anyway if they hadn't have been from that penalty because they were on the road that much. They were on should the have won it in 90 minutes. England should have won that in 90 minutes. And the, Denmark, had, it, it, Denmark had a spell in the first half, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. <clears> and, I th- and that's the one worry for this game against Italy is the way Denmark played through the lines against England in that first half. That midfield pair, that's when they worry me because Insigne and Chiesa, I think that's why, and again, I think this is why you go with the back three, because it makes it harder when they play that ball through the lines for them three, them two to affect the game if you've got a centre-back kind of each looking after them and then the, the extra cover of the full-backs. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to do a similar thing, I think, with Denmark, where those wide players come in and then on the left, Emerson's going to probably charge down the line and look to create the width. And I think, you know... If you have Trippier and Walker over there, it, you've got actually a really good opportunity when you get the ball to get in behind on that side. The only thing that you lose with the front three, if you if you play the back three, sorry, is you wouldn't have a Saka or a Sancho or someone with a bit of pace to cause havoc in that alleyway that might open up where Chiellini's getting pulled out of the left. If you're playing three at the back, it needs to be tech, you need to be clever and, and get Mount or Sterling and move out there, I think, and and make make use of that space. Don't know what you think. Uh, would you go back three? I would, yeah, and and uh, mainly because of the, the the like like yourself, the research, what I've been listening to, and what I've been reading about yeah. those kind of things. What you what you see in there, um, the advantage of Walker playing in particular in, in that system, yeah. I think, massive recovery pace and being the extra centre half. It, <clears throat> it does make sense to me, and I think Italy. It's not. Because I was going to say, do deserve the level of respect you showed Germany. I know it's not about that. It's not mm-hmm. about like you're a team who require a respect, so I'm, that means I'm going to play a back three. It's ta- it's tactical, of course it is. But for example, he didn't match Denmark up when a lot of people were suggesting that he would, and that gets mm. back to what you say. Sometimes you've got to trust your own ability and let them worry about you. And I think he was brave enough to do that against Denmark. Yeah, I don't think you can do that against Italy. Um, you do need to give them that level of respect where you're looking to um, negate their threats as much as as much as expressing your own strengths. I think Which you're is... looking at what, what what's going to be. This is what Southgate's been really good at. Him and whoever you know, Holland, Jones maybe as well involved in it. Is finding when you're negating another team's strengths, it isn't negative; it's positive because you're also then creating room for your team to express their strengths and that's happened in every game I haven't you can look at the amount of chances England have had like half the number of shots that Italy have had in the tournament but I think England we talked about it before the Denmark game only seem to really have a shot when they're in a really good position now in the Denmark game it was a bit different we did have a lot more efforts and some of them were crap ones from long range by like Phillips (laughs) but generally speaking that, that was a different game. That was the first time the game, game script was different, Steve. It was the first time England weren't in the lead heading into the last 20 minutes. When England have got control of the game and when England go in front, they just look to create that one killer chance to finish the game off. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's much better than just pinging in a load of shots. And Donnarumma's a really good goalie. So just having a load of sighters yeah. from 30 yards doesn't help England. Making that one chance for Kane or Sterling from six yards out I'd, I'd back them to score all the time. 
the one. The Wise Men Say podcast is brought to you in association with From the Terraces. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the discount code WMS10 at the checkout stage. While you do that, check out the From the Terraces podcast presented by Matt Keeling and Rory Fallow, available from your usual podcast platform. For more information, just search for From the Terraces. Situation everybody was waiting to see against Denmark, how did England respond when they go a goal down? And mm-hmm. I'm glad it happened in the semi final and not in the final. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, now they do have that experience and they reacted really well. Like oh, you fantastic. say, suddenly they've gone from people saying they're not having any shots to having a brilliant. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think it was a brilliant save by Schmeichel. Sterling said it straight at him from point blank range, to be fair. He um, should score. He should he, score. He, he would, he should he would score. expect himself to score, wouldn't yeah. he? He'd back and, himself to. And they created that chance, <clears throat> and that was followed up by the goal. And, you know, so they created, they, they, they did, they switched, didn't they? They, they, they turned on the switch and, and changed the way they play. I guess the composure and strength of the opposition is different <clears> in, true. in terms of this game, but I, I still feel like, you know, a lot of people were, saying, were back in Italy at the start, weren't they? Um, they were. You know, I got them in the sweep and I was very happy about that. Um, well, uh, Denmark was a good team. I got in the sweep, actually. So if England had lost at least, I would have been guaranteed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, they aren't, they still aren't, you know, they aren't France, are they? You know, they, they, I do think, like, I do feel, and the home advantage is, is crucial as well, which is something else the rest of the world see, or the rest of Europe seem to be kicking off about. Uh, <laughs> about you know somebody's always got home advantage in a tournament, and Italy played their three group kings at home. So Ain't I don't well. know. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. Um, I think the one I, thing I, where I the do whole... feel like the, the I don't want to say I never have a better chance because I, I believe in this management mm. and these young players that much. I, I do think this will come back around in the next sort of twelve years at some. I, I, I think I in the next tournament. Yeah, next. like look at Brazil and Argentina last night. Didn't watch the game. Watch the highlights. But Messi, Messi's like getting older, and I looked at that Argentina team, and I, d- I didn't look at it and think, you know, that's full of kind of young world class talent. There's some good players, but a lot of the best ones are coming to the end of the cycle. In Brazil, yeah, you've got Neymar, who's kind of in his prime, but they've got a lot of like good players like Marquinhos and Casemiro and stuff. But they didn't look like they're playing Richarlison. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Richarlison's fine. He's not a world-class player, is he? I heard something, uh, I can't remember where it was, I was listening to, and they were talking to a South American expert then, and apparently the the feeling in that part of the world is that you they're worried that Europe's going to start pulling away. I think that looks from, to me, from, I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, because they'd say that they almost like Europe have caught up in terms of um, possession-based football and stuff, where even some of the lower countries, like you just mentioned, Austria and teams like that there, composed on the ball comfortable on the ball Denmark another example England is as big yeah. as an example as anybody if you're looking at nations that historically can't um, keep possession of the ball at that level in big games and you know the Europe have always produced individual individuals but the mm. fact that they're starting to catch up now that apparently the you know because the Copa America has been running alongside this a lot of their journalists and stuff have been watching both to compare mm. and they are genuinely concerned I think that Europe well, could pull away I think this is you can look at that discrepancy between some of the you've mentioned Austria there Switzerland you can throw in the mix probably um, these Western European countries Denmark is another example Denmark have always produced decent sides but they're wealthy countries they can afford probably I do, I, this is totally off the flight I don't know how much money these countries put into youth development but they also benefit from 
lots of immigration. So every one of these countries, you look at the names of the players, there's like a lot of Balkans influence in Switzerland. British in Denmark. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's Irish, I think, isn't it? Yes, yes. And and there was even in Finland, there was O'Shaughnessy playing for them, who's who's one of his his dad's Northern Irish or something. I can't remember. The, the, The migration that is usually into these kind of wealthy Western countries benefits down the line you've got a much bigger pool to, to pick from didn't germany have that excellent team i think where Özil was in where there was this stat turkish, where i think only turkish players uh, yeah. not just that though there was like wasn't it only like Polish, three turkish a lot like closer podolski and mm. yeah i think they only had three players where both of the parents were kind of german like both like german born or something i can't remember the exact stat but that's what we're talking about now you don't. You, you're in a poorer part of the world. You don't have the money necessarily to throw it at youth development. Italy, you've got three Brazilian players. They've got Jorginho, Toloi, some Emerson. So Western European countries are actually now taking Brazil. Mute. You're on mute. I was talking to the kid. Oh, <laughs> Go on, sorry. carry on. You keep talking. No, no, sorry. You're next. You're next now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You got a situation there where. There's players like that guy who played for Germany. He played at England junior level, plays for Germany. You've got people like Grealish and Rice could have played for Ireland. People are taking their pick of who they want to play for at national level now, in a way. It's a bit like tennis in some respects. We've seen that over the years with like people like Greg, Greg Rosetsky, you know. I was thinking about this with Ireland. Um, you'd be fuming as an Ireland football fan now, thinking, oh, God. thinking those yeah. two players could have played for you. Harry Kane could have played Absolutely. for Ireland as well. Harry Kane's dad's yeah. Irish, you, I think. Yeah. Don't, don't his parents live out there or something? I'm not sure. Is that right? I, just, I'm, I think his dad's Irish. Sure. So imagine, like, if they'd nabbed those three players. I mean, they actually did nab Grealish and Rice, but unluckily for them, they didn't play in a competitive match, so they were able yeah. to change their mind. But imagine those three players in, in, in Ireland's team, and that makes a massive difference to to their state it's not it, it is I think you know and immigration is a good thing regardless of what some people think um, it's bene- benefiting a lot yeah, of yeah. the western countries certainly and, and you look well Chile I suppose have managed to get Ben Brevet and Diaz to play for them that's but great it's slightly, yeah. can't believe we missed that story. example earlier yeah. yeah but it's the other way around where it but it's that's because he isn't good enough to play for like England where he's ended up going to play for them and you see that happen with Scotland and Ireland sometimes players who can't get into the England set up we'll go and they've got a grandparent a parent I'm not saying they don't feel Irish or Scottish but maybe would have grown up thinking about think, playing for England I think you know? some do and some don't Roy Keane's spoken about this before where oh, he, he has said, yeah. know, I think you know people like Kevin Kilban considers himself Irish you know Irish parents Absolutely. always has done um, mm. and then he says Matt Holland on the other hand <laughs> not, <laughs> not so much <laughs> just but you're a prof- we've talked about this before with like young lads and who do they support? Like, you know, Newcastle supporters playing for Sunderland. These days, I don't think you grow up as a, as much a supporter because you get, you're brought in at a young age at the youth level, right? And then you, your allegiance has just shifted. Playing international football, I think a lot of the time is for a professional sports person. It's not about feeling an affinity to the country, is it? It's about playing at the top level. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. Um, right, I guess we'll sort of look to start wrapping things up. What's your plans for the match? Are you going out, did you say? Yeah, my mate's booked up somewhere in Shields, so uh, probably head out about, I don't know, five, six o'clock and then head along there. 
they've got a big screen, so should be canny. What about you? Um, I'm probably going to go around with friends to watch it. I've not really been out for many games, and um... I haven't. I feel like I've missed. Do you feel like you've missed out? Do you feel like that's something? I feel like for England, I need to be out and around English supporters. Yeah. To get into the vibe, you know. But yeah, I think it's no, I different agree. for you. There's been pros and cons to that. I think I do feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm on as up in the air as I have been in previous yeah. years. And that's probably a part of that because you're out yeah. and you get yourself so pumped up when you're in and around people who are feeling the same and everybody's pumping each other up. And I went to my friends for the Germany game and he had it on his garden there and it was like that. We were all so yeah. pumped up for that. And I did feel that. Um, but what it has done is allowed me to take in the matches more. <laughs> I get so drunk sometimes when I go out that I, like, <laughs> I can vaguely remember the occasion and I'm like this for Sunderland and England um, and I can't really remember the match where, you know, tournaments of when I was a kid, I can remember the matches still and I can yeah. remember the story and the narratives of the games and I feel like this tournament has brought that back a little bit, which is good, oh, that's, which is yeah. good for memory. Yeah. So yeah. it's a balance, isn't it? Um, and, and this is it's exactly I was... what I meant. Yeah, yeah. About ana- you've watched it more analytically in a way, yeah. haven't you? Without Definitely. sounding pompous, yeah. you've you, you have like cast an eye over it and thought, "What's working here?" And it, whereas tonight, I think for a final, I can think about that another day. I just want to enjoy the energy and the atmosphere and the and really feel like you know I'm, I'm here because I want England to 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 win this and and to really revel in it. And then you know we we'll have a nice celebration. And enjoy it, and feel like some good feeling in the country. I agree. That's a good place to go out. Um, what's your heart and your head telling you? The same thing or different things? Honestly, I think England have got on paper the better team. I think they've probably played better throughout the tournament. England have had one poor game, which was Scotland in the groups. And I, someone mentioned this on another podcast about we do it every time. We overthink the groups as fans. It groups every year, you forget them. You just forget. It does, it's unimportant. England have conceded one goal, and it was from, a, as you've said, dodgy set piece. They never really looked like conceding again against Denmark, even when Denmark were playing good football. Italy, on the other hand, though, are unbeaten in a very long time. And forget who they have and haven't played. It's just not really that important. The fact of the matter is... It, they're, they're a good team with pedigree and I, I think the, it's, it's a real cliche but in this one that really is a case of who scores first is going to dictate yeah. I think who wins it I think it's an extra time game I think it'll end a draw 1-0 1-1 or 0-0 Same. and I, I think England I said this against Denmark I said they'd nick it in extra time I'll say it again I think England will win it in extra time hope so you? I think what it's do going you to think pen- I think it's going to penalties all the way full yeah. distance yeah, I'd back us with penalties. Same. Just just off Same. looking just off previous and mm-hmm. off you know, um I know Italy only missed one against Spain, but that could be enough to do it. Um Good. I wish some keepers would bloody just stand still when Jorginho takes <laughs> a penalty. What's <laughs> with that? Just wait until he kicks it. He has missed a couple when that's happened. Yes, so it will just wait. I know it's, it might sound easy, me telling a professional international goalkeeper <laughs> what to do. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just a game of chicken and the keeper always seems to lose with him. Because he just literally just waits. He? he just waits until the move and then just strokes <laughs> it in the other corner. It's quite <laughs> hilarious watching other players try and do that and they can't manage it. 
because they don't have a technique or ability. It, that's quite funny when that happens. I hope none of our players are thinking about doing that. No, he's like some penalty Yoda, isn't he? The way yeah. he like, I don't know, I, but you know, he's going to take the fifth penalty for them. The pressure penalty will it get as far as five? You don't know that, do you? You don't know. England could have that, or Italy could have it won in three or four penalties. I, I think there was a stat someone mentioned. It's rare that a team wins more than one penalty shootout in a tournament. They've won one already. If England get to take the first penalty, I think England will definitely win on penalties. It's a bit more up in the air if it's if England is second. But it, I think some for some bizarre reason, having already been involved in a penalty shootout does not benefit you. It hasn't seemed to for the teams in this tournament. I don't think it, it's because historically it doesn't. Because Switzerland won one and then lost one, and then Spain won one and then lost one. Think about 96. England won one and then lost one. Just as another example. Um off the top of my head, I can't think of another one because who can remember all the penalty shootouts they've watched? It, it just doesn't... I, I think people thought Switzerland would beat Spain on penalties because they'd done France on penalties. But everything that looked so great about those penalties that they took in the first game was shite the second time round. It was absolutely... They were terrible, Switzerland's penalties. Right. Okay. Well... Yeah. So we're basically saying England are going to win, either in extra <laughs> yeah. time or on penalties. <laughs> you just you just back pick for the save one or two, wouldn't you? I mean, Donnarumma is a good keeper as well, and he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. But I've not watched him on penalties a lot, so I'm going to no, I don't know what it's like. Towards that. <laughs> I'm going to be totally ignorant towards that and just is Pickford you know. is Pickford going to take a penalty? One of the first five is he in a final? That's the difference, isn't it? It's okay doing against Switzerland in the Nations League quarterfinals or whatever that was. <laughs> um, you know, where I think that tournament will grow in years and I think it's uh-huh. much better than playing pointless friendlies. I agree. But, I but agree. taking a penalty in the Euros final as a keeper mm. at some call as well. It is. It is. If he does, let's hope he buries it anyway. <laughs> Right, okay, well, we'll see you on the other side, everybody. We might come and we might or might not come and record a pod. We've ignored Sunderland again. I'm glad about that. It's been a lovely distraction. Yeah. Well, we have signed someone at least. I yeah, suppose no, we should say no. that. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll look at that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, one more game. As always, thanks for listening. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed.